Welcome to Indie Dotes, the podcast that shares the stories of independent creators. I'm your host, Susan Bond. Today, I have Sumi Tonoka on the show. She is a composer and a jazz pianist with 30 years of experience. She's played pretty much with everybody, I think, and she's created over 20 film scores. Uh, she, she did a Kickstarter for a one, uh, for her album Now, which was uh, f- like her first solo piano recordings. But today what I want to talk to her about is um, something that she created called For Malala. Welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, so I would love to... Um, can you tell us how the origin of For Malala came about? Uh, it's kind of a, it's got a backstory that goes back a little ways, um, but it was actually came about as a result of having my first symphonic work performed in New York by the American Composers Orchestra and the, the conductor, one of the conductors that evening who was there who did not conduct my piece, um, liked it. And he told me, he knew that I lived in Seattle and he told me about a friend of his who is a conductor who, uh, has the Northwestern Symphony Orchestra. And he said, you know, you should call my friend and maybe he'll play your piece. And of course, when you get contacts like that, you don't let them go. And I called his friend, Anthony Spain, um, and to uh, see whether or not that might be possible. And he, instead of wanting to perform that work, asked me what I'd be interested in moving forward, meaning, what would I like to do new and would I be interested in writing something specifically for his particular orchestra and I thought wow what an opportunity and uh, let me think of what I might want to do and I had had it on my mind that I wanted to create something a piece of music that would commemorate well I shouldn't say commemorate but honor uh, uh, the young life of um, who the the young woman who is now um, received a Nobel Peace Prize? As a matter of fact, she's the first person ever to have received it. Even though at the time I was thinking of writing the work, she had not received that prize yet. But her mm-hmm. name is Malala Yousafzai, and she was, uh, I guess, maybe about 12 years old when she was gunned down by the Taliban in Pakistan for her. Um, uh, work and resistance and fighting um, uh, to for the right to go to school and the right to an education for girls and young women and all children. And when I found out about her story, I was, you know, it was one of those news stories where you hear it and you just go, what? You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it was like, I really wanted to know more about why this young girl was singled out and right. what what had happened and what her story was and the more i found out about her um the more i was drawn to want to do something that would um musically that would uh, would address those kinds of issues but also her story specifically and i guess i wanted to write a work as well that would be for young people uh that to be able to play and perform about a young living day heroine. And in my case, or in her case, I definitely think that she embodies that. Oh yeah, I've read her story. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Um, 
So you spent. Um, so how long did you spend sort of researching her before you started uh, composing? Well, I usually spend quite a bit of time researching the the subjects that I'm interested in because it it helps to fuel ideas and also inspiration. You know, so I I looked into what had actually happened, and then f when I found out that she was she was blogging actually, which is incredible. You know, mm -hmm. at that young about the freedom uh, to go to school and she was um, actually um, very much uh, in, res in resistance, you know, to the, the, the environment in which she was in, which, which she was forbidden. Actually, that it, that's what had happened. There was a curfew for kids to go to school they, and she resisted the curfew and in her resistance, you know, um, was, was singled out. And um, and that was amazing to me that she could have that kind of voice at such a young age, and it made me very curious about her. So, yeah, it is right at such a young age. Um, what what the courage she had to do, and and the way that she talked about it was so eloquent and interesting. Uh, very capturing subject. Uh, and so, you know, when you think about you started to research. Can you tell us a little bit about what the composing process was like for you? You know, how long did it take? Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, well, let's see. I, what what was really good about this particular project was I had a deadline. You know, so I <laughs> those are good, aren't they? Yeah, I had a date where it was going to be performed. So I, you know, I had to get myself a lot of time. If I have that, if it's a commission and there's a deadline, I put myself on a timeline for writing. So I know that I have to accomplish a certain amount, you know, by a certain amount of time, and also not to to try not to let it all wait until the last minute, you know, which can easily happen if you're not, you know, on the on it in terms oh, yeah. of yeah. So um, I made sure that I stayed true to my timeline, and then I. Um, How long did was your timeline? How long did you have to write it? I think it? I had about a year. Okay. Is that is that a typical or is for that... a symphonic work? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, I wanted to. I had a couple goals with the music. I wanted the music to embody her heroism. You know, so it had to have that sort of quality to it. But I also wanted it to be. Uh, I wanted to bring my jazz trio into the into the orchestra. Mm. So that was another. Um, goal that I had was to write a work that would be like a f concerto of, of sorts for my orchestra. And the way the piece is, it's almost kind of a mini concerto in that it goes through several um, types of moods through the piece. Uh, and uh, uh, different members of my trio are, are um, featured throughout the piece as well as the orchestra. Mm. Um, so there is a lot going on in terms of what I was trying to accomplish yeah, it sounds like it. And the other thing was I had to write a work that was going to be, it couldn't be too virtuistic in the sense that the last orchestra piece I did was for an orchestra that only does new music and they're used to just doing a lot of 
ultra difficult music and this particular orchestra was more of a community orchestra very good orchestra but not you know stellar like New York City level you know what I mean and mm. so I needed to write a work and also I was looking for it to be able to be performed by high school orchestras because that's what I was aiming for so I was trying to keep the music um, very doable in that sense right 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 yeah that's really interesting keeping in mind who's going to be playing this not only in the initial but in later is really fascinating it changes the way that you write that you had to compose yeah it, actually it really didn't and in some ways it was really good in in that sense because it it distilled and refined some of my ideas which can tend to be at sometimes you know they can be uh, go into the realms of of whatever you know maybe further <laughs> further than they should. Do so you mean it, like you like to experiment or abstract? Yes, well, all that, okay. all of that. You know, <laughs> yes, yeah. And uh, you have to remember that you're writing for human beings, and that that you know that also when you have a large group of people playing something, that there's um there needs to be a thread that can make people feel like they can actually uh, do the work. I mean, that might sound very obvious, but it's kind of hard to talk about exactly what that is. But it was something I was aware of. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, in a sense, you had two audiences. You had not only, you know, the folks who would be listening, but also the audiences of who the people who would be playing this in various places. So you had two audiences to keep in mind as you're writing this, it seems. Yes. Yeah, Which, that seems a little compl complex to me. It's more complex than you would think, right? Those of us who don't compose music, we think, oh, you compose it for the listeners. <laughs> well, I think you have to be, as a composer, you definitely have to remember that. You know that that's you're 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 creating a sonic environment of sound that is going to that you hope will communicate. I mean, I as a composer want my music to be something that's remembered and experienced and that's you know will move people and I mean you, there's no way to predict that you can't write specifically oh well I'm gonna move this person at this bar <laughs> you know what I mean but but you know you, still that you have your goals in terms of what it is that inspires you like as a listener what inspires me usually what inspires me is music that that takes me into a another place that that somehow touches my heart and um that is more than just a musical experience. Mm, I love that. I love that. So I want to go back to this deadline. Um, so you're writing and you're trying to, you know, you're writing this and you're trying to figure out how to really embody her, you know, her heroism of Malala and bring the jazz trio in and you're thinking about um, the folks who are going to be playing this, not only the, the first time, but in the future. And I'm wondering about, as you're thinking about all that, how was, what was your routine like for writing? Do you have a specific routine when you compose or, you know, is it strict? Is it, you know, or rigid or is it more free flowing? Well, you know, it's different for every single piece, but I do think that when you're in the midst of actually doing something fairly major, you know, you do need to actually get into some kind of uh, of uh, routine and find a way to work that's that's going to be productive, you know. And everybody, that's a little different for everyone. No one has. There's no one right way to do it, but I do think that. Um, when, and for me, once I'm in it, like it sort of takes over in a way, you know. Mm. So once I'm in that 
space. It it it. it, it it's sort of the, the, a lot of time the challenge is just getting into that space and creating it, creating the place where you're, oh, I'm in it now, you know, because I think between being not in it and in it can be where the struggle is a lot of the right. time. Yeah. Right. As a writer, I totally get yes. that. And so do you mean, like, how, so how do you get into that space? And is that space like a bigger container? I'm thinking about like, you know, like method actors who don't break the whole time they're on set. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Right. Like, do you mean? like the space yeah. of you know how I've done two questions are how do you get into the space and what did like what does that does that space get contained and created every day those are my two questions well not every day I mean I mean when you're working on a project hopefully it is every day until you get it finished you know what I mean but sometimes you have to give yourself breaks and you also have to let yourself like get away from it and you also let yourself um off the hook because you know if you put too much pressure it, you know it can be like uh overwhelming sometimes and sure. there's a lot of fear involved in the sense of oh god is this going to be crap or is everybody going to hate it and like, i mean you know like there's yes. there's always fear involved whenever you're creating anything new because you're vulnerable you know what i mean you're vulnerable in the sense of oh what is this going to be and how is it going to be perceived and you know and the thing is is i think that you need to get in a place where you shut that that out you know um or you just let it in and you just like make friends with it you know because right you know i think the fear is actually something that it's not like you can just get rid of it it's something i think as human beings that we we have to cope with but uh, i think that go anxiety and fear comes along with the territory of what it is to create anything you know um, i love i love that can we delve into that for a second i'll uh, we'll talk about the space moment i think that's so great that i think there's this idea that we sometimes have that fear just goes away and as a creative the more you create that fear will just go away and you won't have it anymore and what I hear you saying is no that's not true I think that's yeah I mean what who was it it was I think was it um Henry Fonda they said that he used to go and uh throw up before every time he walked out on stage <laughs> you know like as a theater actor you know um yep. uh and it's sort of like you make yourself go you know deal with it and then you just go do it you know what I mean um, it becomes part of the environment in which you know that you have to play in you know and right. so, and so um, but I think the once with music anyway once you actually get into the the meat of the that process it's it's actually kind of fun because you know you're in this other world and one thing can tend to dictate itself to the next if you're uh open and listening and able to kind of you know experiment in that way the other thing is you you can always like back up or you know change it or or decide this isn't working or you know what i mean so mm. there's there's it's not like it has to be so this solid thing that's going to just imprison you for the rest of your life you know <laughs> although once it's done it's got to be done and then you move on to the next thing you know right right but that i love that idea of like iterating and revisions you know like you're just continuing to iterate on it and until it's done you can always keep futzing with it well you know so in this particular case uh the conductors invited me back to redo the piece not redo it but for us to be able to perform it again he liked the piece and he wanted to do it specifically this time to record it 
And I'm thrilled because it's giving me the opportunity to like extend maybe part of it and then uh, strengthen parts of the piece that I felt were little, you know, it's giving me an uh, opportunity to, to kind of rework it a little bit. So, That's so great. Yeah. That's so great. And what's your, what is your process like when you, so you, you know, you do the piece and then looking back at it now, you've done it once, but now you're looking at it to do it again. How is your process different when you're doing, I don't know what you call it in your world, if you call it revisions? Or yeah, it is a revision. And okay. I guess I don't really know the answer to that question because I haven't done it that much. I mean, my first orchestral work, I decided to change the ending. And when it was performed a second time, the ending was different than the original time that it performed. And I like the, the ending better now. Just that last part, the very last moment of the piece. Um, I think you have to be careful not to overwork it and also to, you know, not get caught in the black hole of, oh, my God, revision, revision, revision. You just have to kind of <laughs> take a light. Yeah, you have to kind of take a light, you know, a little light, be light with it, I think, to some extent. And that being said, I'm not sure exactly what and how I'm going to do this, but it's going to get done, you know, and... Um, I'll just see. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, I love that though. Like, be light with it. You know, don't because it is easy with we. Cause just let's face it. You spend a year composing something or working on anything, right? And it becomes you become very. Uh, I, I could see you could become very um, enamored of it or possessed by it or obsessed. And it can be hard to not go back. It can either be hard to make changes to it or and, or it can be hard. You just want to keep perfecting it forever. Yeah, I think we as creatives have that tendency. And But part of what we do is understanding that, you know, uh, it kind of like it doesn't define who you are. You know, it's just... You, it becomes something that you're a pro, you go into process with. You know, I think the music kind of happens through us. We work at it, but it's still something a process that's kind of um, there's a there's a part of it that's that doesn't have anything to do with you. I really love that. As a writer, I can relate with that. Some pieces, I can just feel I'm bashing my way through them, and I know they're just not the right piece for me. Right. Um, and, you know, and then other pieces, it's it's not like I'm channeling it, but it is. Like, it, it, it's hard work, and I'm still spending time and effort, but it just feels less hard. You know, it feels like I can find, when I find that flow in the piece is right for me, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. It's very uh, musical. Uh, I can relate it to that musically. Right. And and so it seems to me as if, um, how was uh, For Malala composing that piece for you? Was it, uh, was there, you know, getting into that space and that flow, how was that for you? Is this a piece that was more challenging or, you know, or do you know what I'm getting, trying to get at? Well, originally I wanted to do certain things that I ended up not doing. Like I thought it, should, it would be really interesting to bring in some aspect aspect of Pakistani culture into the piece and then I was oh. thinking well how how authentic is that to my actual voice though but this mm. time around I'm thinking maybe I could do something that would hint at that like um, maybe in the drums um, some kind of hand drumming or something um, that would evoke that without being so you know specific in that sense you know literal but um, uh, the, but what I did was I based the piece off of several improvisations. Generally, what I like to do is have a core of something that comes very authentically through me. In other words, something that I'm actually really feeling and hearing, 
you know, because it's so easy to get very thinky when you're a composer. You know, we do tend to think a lot about it in terms of form, structure, what we want to have happen. But then once you're actually in the realm of the sound itself, it's kind of like trusting that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going to find something that you can, you can actually use as your medium to, um, to the line that's going to take you through applies to so many creative endeavors yeah well like um with malala's the, this particular piece i actually used the incident in the music Ooh. in a way can you tell us more what do you mean by that how did you do that the shot oh wow i have chills right now i have like tears in my eyes and chills as, as soon as you said that yeah, because I think it was that moment, you know, like hearing that, that's the thing that like got me um, over the, just hearing the news story was like the sheer, like how in the world can anyone do something like that? I mean, just, and then, and then under getting into the politics and the, the history of the region and just the whole issue of, of so much because it's very multi-layered you know especially in terms of uh misogyny and uh, uh violence towards women and uh young girls the whole thing and so of course i'm a proponent i'm a feminist you know i'm a proponent of women's rights and also women being educated all over the world and not just women but all people you know but but particularly women and um the struggles that we have gone through and the struggles that we still have and she, here she is, this strong, young voice, and she still is that. You know, she came out of the coma, and she's just as articulate and, and even stronger moving forward in terms of her fight. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah, it really is. And so in the piece you used, the shot, were there other elements that, um, that you put in of her story that you put into the composition, or, what, or was it more shades of it? You know what I mean? Like a, I tried a, to create a theme that was sort of that had a, uh, a quality of innocence but strength mm. Mm. and courage. Mm. I, I'm just trying to imagine what that sounds like in my head. That's, so, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I was trying to imagine what it sounded like in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's really cool. <laughs> innocence and strength. <laughs> it's so great. Okay, so it, it took you a year, and how long did it, the piece end up being? I think the piece is about 11 minutes long. Okay, so it's 11 minutes, got it. Something like that. Okay. And there's some improvisation in the piece, you know. There's room for improvisation for piano, bass, and drums. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very interesting. So that, uh, let's say, a composer could... You know, choose, you know, how do they figure that out, the, the improvisation part? Well, it's very much a, an orchestral work for jazz trio. So you have mm. those two elements, you know, the, what the jazz trio would do, 
And then you have the element of the orca orchestra working with that and accompaniment. Yeah. How do you know when it's done? Oh, that's a hard question to ask. <laughs> oh, you know, you got to wrap it up somewhere. I remember this, the, the Miles Davis and Col John Coltrane, you know, was playing with Miles Davis. And John Coltrane was known for taking really long solos, whereas Miles was much more of a, you know, uh, minimalist and, and known for his cool and reserved, you know, amount of notes. Coltrane was like the antithesis of that, you know, and Coltrane would literally like just go into a state and not be able to stop. And, and Miles was like, man, you know, your solos are, and, and, and Coltrane was like, well, I'm trying to figure out how to end, like how to get out. And he said, man, man, j just take the horn out your mouth. <laughs> I love that. Just take the horn out of your I mean, there's so many metaphors for that in life. I know. It's so true. I, I, I think that's a funny story, but it's it's kind of true, you know, because you could go on and on and on. You never, and it's never, you know, perfection just doesn't exist in the creative world. I mean, maybe it does in some ways, but, you know, you're always striving for that. But, but you know, you have to be able to kind of at some point, like, know where that is. And I guess, you know, you just find your way. I guess it's when you have nothing else to say and it kind of wraps itself up. I don't know. I, I still don't know if that's a good answer. I'm sorry, Susan. I don't know quite how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I ask hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so, uh, but by the way, before the podcast, I, I've heard that, um, Sumi, you've been interviewed by Terry Gross before, correct? Yes. And, and, and many, many years ago, many years ago, and before and you, the show went public. Oh, interesting. And so um, what was the experience of being interviewed by her like? Well, she is awesome because she's such a, she's so, uh, I mean, it probably was the most well-researched uh, interview that anyone's ever given me. So it was uh, very comforting because I knew that she knew probably more about my life than I did. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you felt comfortable that she could guide it. And did she ask, I've often heard that she asks these questions that are hard or that people, you know, not in a hard hitting, like gotcha kind of way, but just trying to get to the depth of the matter or that you don't expect. And she, did she do that? Yeah. I mean, I like that though. I like to go deep in conversation. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't mind that. I'm, I'm that, that I'd much rather go deep than be, you know, too peripheral or, or, you right. know, yeah. Right. I, I hear you. Well, yeah, people have likened me to Terry Gross, and sometimes I, I think I think it's really great. I would love to be as good as her, um, but they've often said that I ask them questions that make them think, and at the end they're like, I don't know if I gave the right answer. If I I don't know, I have to think about that. That's good. That's good. That means you're doing your job. I think you know, especially because I think it's I think the the good thing about conversations, particularly around creativity, are that you know there isn't one right answer. It's a process, you know, and everyone has different processes and we're all different and unique human beings. You know, everyone's got a different story. Everyone has a uniqueness about them. So it's wonderful to learn from each other. Well, it's one of the things I love most actually about doing this podcast is um, because I love, I'm so curious about people and I really want to hear what they're doing. And I don't also, by the way, I don't usually know when to end either, except that I some, at some point look at the clock and go, oh, I guess I better wrap this up because I could talk to them forever. Sure. sure. <laughs> so let's go back to, you've wrapped up 
And then what happens? Like you wrapped it up and it's complete. What happens after that, you know, with Formalala? What was the next step? Well, you have to get the parts done. And then there's rehearsals with the orchestra. And in this case, they rehearsed a couple times before they brought me in. And then my bass and drummer made the last two rehearsals. So it was a process of rehearsal. And what was really good for me was that before I wrote the work, I went to, to see them rehearsing other works. Mm. And I actually saw them take a Mahler, the Mahler Sixth Symphony, from the beginning of rehearsal to the end of rehearsal. It was very informative because their first rehearsal, they really, it didn't sound that great. And I was like, holy cow, how are they going to get it together between, you know, and the conductor seems so calm that I, I was thinking, well, he must know something that I don't know because he certainly doesn't seem to be too rattled about it. And he just said to me, oh, they're going to, you know, they'll pull it off. They'll pull it together before, the, you know, and I went to the final show and I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow. So it taught me a lot about what to expect in terms of process, you know, like what they go through, you know, because they're just sort of running through it and then they all go and they work on it and then they come back and boom, you know, like they're kind of ready. And um, that kind of happened with my piece as well, that, that there were things that we had to address. And um, what was nice was he brought the rehearsal uh, just re for the orchestra first, and I was there for the, those rehearsals. And what was really interesting for me was be performing and the composer in the same piece. You know what I mean? That was challenging. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, I'm still learning about that because you know, I'm. Uh, that was a first for me, actually, in the sense of handling that many people. In a, in a big piece that I wrote, you know what I mean? Because I, as a jazz musician, you write and compose and play your stuff all the time, but um, but for that amount of people to be in that particular situation uh, was was yeah, new for many, me. How many people are were in the orchestra? It was about was there thirty to forty something people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a that was you know a first, and it was a I tried to just do the best I could, you know what I mean? Like just really, it made me, it really made me focus on making sure that I was going to be in a good place. Well, yeah. And I'm, I'm really curious about the idea. So you're the composer and you're performing in this. And when you're, when you're, when you're, let's say you're, you're in rehearsals and you're practicing, was there ever a moment as where the composer side of you wanted to jump in and you know, do you know what I mean? Like, redirect or no that's not the way you know does that make sense sure and um uh what was great was i had a pretty good relationship with the conductor and that's his job you know i mean at that point right. to like right. bring it out in the you know with the musicians and so so he was very open and very wonderful to work with in that sense you know and i feel, felt very um just so uh grateful to have be able to have that experience and because all those kind of experience helps you learn and build towards your next hopefully next one you know well right because you we create these things and then they go out into the world and the world they don't always come out the world doesn't always use them or see them exactly the same way that we did absolutely right and so that's why i'm so curious i was curious about that place of being the performer and then the composer in the same thing and how you manage that. So that's really interesting. It's great that you had a conductor who was open to you influencing or giving thoughts or however that looked. 
absolutely. It was it was kind of collaborative in that sense. You know, I was very fortunate. So I'm really grateful for actually for the conductor in New York, David Delta Geyer, who led me to his um, friend, and that that opened up this whole new other you know opportunity and experience uh, for me to um, produce more of uh, uh, symphonic work. So it's so fantastic, and so. Um, you did the piece, and you know. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. The, the 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 piece, you know, went out into the world, and you know, and and then what happened? Did you know because you, you're coming back around and you're going to be doing it again soon? But once you write a piece and you perform it, do you kind of let go of it, or does it stick with you? Well, it's important to let go in order to embrace the new. Mm. But it's also good to be able to reflect and, you know, kind of examine and learn from what you've just done. Ah, so do you do sort of like a, in my world we call them like a post-mortem or a wrap-up and think about it, or is it just more loose? I think it's a little more loose, you know, because I think as creatives, it's, it is about going from one project to the next, you know what I mean? It's like, that's how our lives go, personally even, you know, it's like one thing to the next thing to the next thing, whatever it is in terms of how we live our lives. So you have to be able to let go. Yeah, yeah, because it's rare for us to be able to work on just one project for the length of our creative life. I mean, we're going to work on multiple ones. Exactly. And, and, and that brings me to another question. While you were working on composing for Malala, were you working on composing any other pieces at the same time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, um, not a lot of other pieces, but I work as a you know jazz pianist too. So I was I have another band that I was recording with and writing for, and um, but my major focus was going into making sure that that piece was going to be finished. And so, how was uh, was there any sort of you know context switching or anything you had to do to switch between the pieces? Did you work them on, on them on different days? Did you work? You know what I mean? Like I'm curious again about that routine and how you kept those things well I mean that one that that piece was for first and foremost in my mind in terms of like you know needing to get certain amount of bars finished every day although a lot of time I don't look at it that way although a lot of other composers do like you know has to be a certain amount of bars finished or completed you know because you can try stuff and a lot of the time you you, you might you might end up not using it and it could be really good too you know but it may not be it may be superfluous or 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 not needed or too it's, much. It reminds me of writing, right? Like, I mean, you know, writing a thousand words a day is great, but it's how many how many of those words are you actually using? And then that whole idea in writing of like kill your da darling. Sometimes you might write a sentence that you're just in love with, but it actually just doesn't fit. Right, exactly. So I have like I have a whole folder of of sentences that are my darlings that I've had to kill. That I'm like, one day you will see the light. One day people will read you. <laughs> no, I understand. Well, that's so. It's very much a parallel to music in in the same sense you know that mm -hmm. it's really good to know what's working and what's not and why and a lot of time it's like it's it's very intuitive it's not so much you know uh, and you have to be true to wherever you are in the at the time that it's happening because you know we change too and so going back and forth whatever you know it's so true. I look back at some of my earlier creations. Sometimes I cringe and then I say, that's where you were at that time. And now you're here and you're in a different place and that's okay. <laughs> right. Exactly. 
we're constantly growing and changing and, and our expression is constantly growing and changing. That's right. Absolutely. And so how long, um, how long between um, putting it down and then being asked to put it on again, you know, like for, you performed it and then how long did it take before you were, you know, was there a long period of time, you know, like a year, a few months? It's been a year since we, uh, actually it might even be two years now since the first time. And um, because he had me on the a season, then he skipped a season, now he's having me back. And um, which is really great, you know, because they don't get, they don't do a bunch of things all the time. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's plenty of material to perform. So the fact that I've gotten asked back to for the same orchestra with the same piece is, is pretty remarkable. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of music out there that can be played. That's right? correct. <laughs> yes. That That's so great. And so uh, will your um, will your jazz trio come with you again? Yes, I hope to use the same people. Great. And when will it be performed? February of uh, 2018. Okay, got it. And so when do you when do you need to have the revisions, you know, the updates to this piece ready? Well, I'm planning to work to get a lot done in, in August. And then uh, he, he'll need the parts probably by December for a oh, February, okay. by a February for a February performance. Yeah. Okay, great. And I want to kind of wrap back around to something you talked about earlier, which is while you were writing, you were thinking about the fact that high school, you were hoping that this might be played by high schools. Has this piece been, is it out in the world being played by other folks yet? Other, you know, no, because you know, truth, truthfully, we want to, uh, we want to re-record it because the first recording had some issues and we want to address those issues and, and re-record it. And then he'd be more comfortable with letting me release it. You know, I could probably release parts of it now, but no, it hasn't gone into the world yet, but it will after this performance. Ah, Got it. Got it. And so, so you'll this this performance is not only to play it again, but to really get a record a, a good recording. Of yes, things. exactly. And what will happen with that recording? Where will that go? How will that be put out into the world? That's a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess I'm a little premature with my questions here. Well, one thing is that I think it's important to let people know what you're doing and to share your work. And there are many different ways to do that now, you know, with the Internet. And uh, there are many choices. As a matter of fact, that's part of the problem is there's so many ways in which you can choose to share that, you know, and whether it's going to be used for commercial means. I mean, I would hope that in this particular concert, I would really like to be able to help raise some funds for Malala's, um, her uh, organization, you know. Uh, mm. And so um, I have to think about all that, you know, what, right. what that's going to look like. Not that it's going to make tons of money or anything, but I would like to make the event something that could possibly help raise some funds for her organization. And... Um, use it for that as well as uh, a opportunity like maybe to get the piece out there and be be performed by um some young people well, have you let her know you know i'm not aware? sure i'm working on that now actually because um i have somebody who is in touch with her uh, as might be like a, a, a member or through a contact of mine we're working on trying to get all that going before well before the performance so that she'll know about it. Maybe she could even come. Um, that, That'd be fantastic uh, yeah, if she could be there. Yeah, it would be. Sure would be. But are you working on other bigger pieces at the moment? 
I wouldn't say bigger pieces. I'm actually working on a, uh, some new work for a, a composer's collective that I put together called Alchemy Sound Project. And we write for each other, and we usually meet once a year to perform and record our own work. And um, we're all band leaders and improvisers, and we um, uh, are dedicated to helping each other grow in our own vision as composers. So it's kind of cool because it's kind of like a... a a metric for uh, all of us but also a support system to help us grow so you're are you, you're writing for that yes we're going to be um, recording again in in uh, January and so does everyone bring their own piece that does everyone bring a piece yes we piece? each write two pieces and we usually record everything so it's like ten pieces all together we rehearse and record each other's music Wow what a fantastic idea Sounds like it's such a, a, a good place to uh, explore your creativity and work with more, you know, other peers. Yes, it, it, it's exactly. And right now, one of our composers actually received a, um, a grant through um, Chamber of Music America to write a new work for our for this group, as well as which is going to give the whole group a support for the next three years to also do our own stuff. So, I mean, like, what a fantastic opportunity! It also strikes me that, as a composer, it, I wonder if it could get lonely as you're writing, and to, you know what I mean. If you're not working with other people while you're writing, and having the opportunity to collaborate even in other ways with other folks might seem very welcome. Yeah, well, as jazz composers, though, you do write, but you get a chance to really play your material. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you one would hope that you do anyway, because that, that's part of what, what the language is, you know. Um, but to be able to do it sort of for a sort of in a chamber setting and for specific people over a period of time that are dedicated to that is a very mm -hmm. kind of wonderful um, feeling. Yeah, I wonder, do, is it because, you know, you speak the sort of the same language, so to speak, or... Well, we speak the same language in the sense that we all improvise and it's jazz, but each one of us comes to it from a very different place. Um, we have a generation, couple generations in the band, um, and, and also very different... Um, personalities and voices in terms of who we are as composers and jazz musicians. Wow, that's that's so, it just sounds like so much fun as a creative. I'm like, ooh, what a great playground. It is, totally. So is there anything else that I didn't ask today, you know, that, that you know, you're thinking about with Malala or just your work as a creative that you think other folks might need to know? Well, I mean, I, I mean, for anyone who's a creative, I guess the, the, the idea, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I just come into my sixth decade and I've recently received a, a, an award that was kind of astonished me from my hometown in Philly just this couple weekends ago, not just a couple days ago, excuse oh, me. Oh, wow. Maybe it was What's two, two days. I got a, uh, what do they call it, a Jazz Legends Award, Ooh. a Senator's Award from the... Yeah, that, and it was, was uh, received amongst uh, with about six other people, artists in the Philadelphia area. Philadelphia has a very rich tradition of jazz and 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 uh, music making and mentorship and love and history and all that. And I guess part of what I'm realizing is that I've been doing this for so long now that that some of that 
experience just starts to add up and it, it you know you become someone who's just been doing it for a long time <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> which actually is a big part of it you know you have to uh it's a it's a lifestyle and it's a it's a way of being in the world to be an artist and um um i'm not used to receiving awards so i was like god i must be getting old or something you know? <laughs> <laughs> but but i think what i'm trying to say is that it's just the you know the everyday uh commitment you know to to just making up your mind that you're going to do it you know I love that. I really want to end on that. It's an everyday commitment to making up your mind that you want to do it, that you just want to create. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Susan. You're a good, you, asked, you gave a good interview. Ask good <laughs> questions. Thanks so much. In honor of today's guest, we'll be listening to For Malala by Sumi Tanoka rather than our normal outro music. Enjoy.